into the GOAT Zoom room. I'm Andy Villanueva. Caitlin Free is having electrical issues in Ohio. Uh, apparently, they have storms there, kind of like here in Houston. But today, uh, we are going to start a new kind of angle toward uh, the GOAT Zoom room, and we're bringing in some of the owners of some of the tracks in North America, and I wanted to start with Al and Bill Yulewelling. Uh, right now it's Al only, and on the phone with us, and on the Zoom call, and welcome in Al. I'm Al, yes, Al. Hey, thanks for having us. You, uh, you know, I don't know if you've listened to the show, and it's okay if you haven't, but, um, you know, we try to, we try to make sure that we get the backstories of a lot of things. And one of the things that we've always been interested in is how everybody gets their, um, gets their start in racing. Obviously your dad's been an owner for a while and so have you, but how have you guys uh, gotten into it and what set that as the path you guys wanted to do? Uh, it was pr pretty simple for us. I, my father had me at Canterbury park on opening day, I believe in 1985. So we've liked the horses ever since then. We just didn't have an opportunity financially till probably real early in the 2000s. We had a friend who had a horse, a couple horses at Canterbury, and he wanted us to buy into them. And uh, we didn't want to buy into those because they couldn't, they were very slow, slow horses. Anybody could see that. So we waited that winter, and we actually bought our first horse called Diplomatic Storm with him. I think it was in like 2003. And it was my father and I and our friend named Bob. And that today, the horse never won. He ran at the bottom, maiden level, but he was still the funnest horse we have ever owned. Um, and that's not kind of how we got started, is in 03. And how did, I mean, you know, everybody, everybody has kind of like an origin story. Obviously, your dad took you to Canterbury Park. Did you like playing the horses as well, or was it just being able to just own the horses no we love playing the horses and always have I, I since i can remember i've been going down to canterbury and sliding him a few dollars here and there to put some wagers in for me um and that was probably from when i was 10 years 11 years old so we definitely enjoy playing the horses uh we wager roughly probably six days a week on the horses it's a it's a how we like to kill time i guess I mean, you guys are, are pretty busy with your your own business, which is a construction company. And uh, how do you guys? How are you guys able to manage both of them at the same time? I would have to say that uh, I manage probably ninety five percent of the horses. Uh, my father just likes enjoying them run. Uh, he likes seeing them run. He likes wagering on our horses. He likes competing with our horses. Uh, we had a really, really tough start in the last couple of years in Woodbine. We thought we'd be way stronger. Um, so I know that's bothered my father. So I think he's just turned the reins over to me. And we, we use the same guys and girls for everything we do. And it seems to be working. I think one of the cool things that I find interesting with, with uh, your, you know, your, your ownership between you and your dad is the fact that you guys 
are a father and son team that kind of enjoy it together. Uh, any memories that you're going to take back with you and say, hey, look, this is this is something I can always look back on and say, this was fun? Yeah, it's it's been a blast, honestly, since day one. Uh, we have tried to just make sure we always had enough horses to run for entertainment. Um, it is harder to right now to find, find forever homes for them. That's one thing we're struggling with right now a little bit. Um, but as far as memories go, we have traveled the whole North America and had an absolute blast at numerous tracks, whether it be Saratoga, even up to Northlands Park in Canada. Uh, we've just had a blast with the horses. I don't really think the average people know what goes on when you get horses into the bigger stake races. Um, it's sometimes, like, for instance, Arlington Million, there's four or five days of nonstop festivities leading up to the race that are just as fun as the race. And I think those memories of, you know, meeting people at those festivities and talking with other people, getting their perspectives, I think that's what's, that's our memories apart. And we always have fun. We always have a group of people. We, we, uh, like to have a few cocktails and have fun and i think that's that's the main thing i always um i always marvel at the fact that these big these big stakes weekends can last an eternity sometimes these big stake weeks can last an eternity sometimes and uh, i'm sure i'm probably a lot older than you and i remember when the pacific classic first started they didn't have a real draw they didn't have anything other than the fact that the main race at Del Mar was a Pacific Classic. And now it's like a week-long event. Everybody looks forward to it. Everybody looks forward to the Haskell. Everybody looks forward to all these big races. And even the Breeders' Cup has gotten so out of hand that, you know, they have all these parties going on. Um, any specific parties you enjoyed at all? Yeah, I think... Uh... Uh, the Louisiana Derby, we had a horse, and he, we, we, back in the early days, we mismanaged every, pretty much every horse we had. And we ran one in Louisiana. I think he broke his maiden. We claimed him. Then he went in the other then. He won right off the bat in the other then. We ran a horse in the Louisiana Derby. And that particular party was one of the funnest. We've had some, some good ones at Oakland. Don't get me wrong. Actually, I really haven't met, uh, been to too many bad parties. <laughs> they're all uh, they're all pretty fun, but think, the Louisiana Derby was the funnest because we had I think we had James Graham riding and he is an absolute. I mean, he could be a comedian. He's that's how funny that guy is, and he everybody just kind of sat around and he told stories, and I just will always remember that that one. I always I always like uh, hearing jockey stories. Um, some of them are really really funny and. You get a better personality. You get a better view of a personality of a jockey based on the stories they tell, right? Uh, <laughs> my, my main man, Eddie Martin Jr. He has stories that yeah, it'll just your chest will hurt from laughing after 15 minutes on the rail with him because he doesn't never stops talking, and they're all funny stories. And I have no idea how he remembers everything. As many times he's fallen off a horse, but yeah, they, them guys, girls, they. They're, they're entertaining, for sure. Um, I wanted to get I wanted to get back to the ownership part of it. Um, right now, you guys have well, you guys have a really nice filly, I think, uh, and I want to pronounce her name correctly. 
It's right. uh, Shaco P Town. Is that right? Yeah, she's retired. Yep, we still. Own oh, her. she yep. is retired. Okay. Yep, she's got a gun runner baby um, by her side, and she's in full to uh, good magic at Hillendale. She's in full to good magic. Really? Yeah. Yep. Wow. She's grade three winner. She won. She won the whimsical up in uh, Toronto a couple years ago, and she was a nice filly. She was. Yeah. She. I I remember you guys posting it on your Twitter feeds and all that. Um, another horse you guys had at one time that almost won a million dollars was Pumpkin Rumble. Yeah. Um, so uh, he was he was a winner of the Grade Three Valedictory, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, any other horses coming up that you guys are like, you know what? These horses are going to be kind of nice. Yeah. I think we got, so, so I think it's Saturday. We have a horse in a grade two up at Toronto. Her name is Mervyu. I think she's really nice. I think her first her first out uh, wasn't indicative of how nice a horse she was this year. The pandemic has definitely, definitely set that horse back because she's been ready to run for, for months and months. Um, so she's nice. And then we have two three-year-old boys up there that are going to run in the plate. Um, one is Steven. He runs next Saturday in the uh, kind of a plate prep trial race. He's nice. He kind of had a faced older horses his first out and any other than, and it was extremely tough. And he had a couple physical issues. He didn't run that good. And a horse called Hadassah, a homebred of ours, he's going to run in the plate. He's had kind of two rough starts this year, and we expect bigger things for him in the plate. And he's trading up to it. So we, we have some nice horses coming. We have some nice two-year-olds coming. We started the season with 13 uh, two-year-olds. And we have a distorted humor filly coming that's nice. And we have uh, one that's already ran called Basalt Street. She got a nine on the sheets. Very fast filly out of Uncaptured. So we have a few few in the pipeline that will be coming to making some noise shortly. Which which uh, sheets do you guys use? Do you guys use the rags or the t- or thoroughgraph? We use both. We buy the rags. We, we, we buy the Thurograph. Um, we use buyers. We use Equibase speed figures. We kind of, we, we get all the numbers and it's, it's funny to see the discrepancies in the numbers. Um, that's for sure. So we, we st- tend to stick with Thurograph sheets. Um, it's the most honest sheets out there for us. I agree. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, I love Thurograph. And they're not a paid sponsor, but um, I do like them. I think they're once you figure out how to read read it and understand it, I think it's probably the easiest one to to figure out just off of just being able to view it. Yeah, for sure. If we claim a horse and and we and we watch the PPs daily, if we're gonna go to claim a horse, it's Thurograph is the one that we claim off of for the most part. That and obviously physical. If we can see the horse in the morning, or we know a little bit about the horse, but we use those numbers. We handicap with those numbers. The problem I have is when I try to get new people to learn how to use them, they're confused. Um, they would rather use like a buyer product or a DRF product. I think, yeah. I mean, we could we could talk at nauseum about the whole thir- about handicapping products and and what it is. I mean. You know, I started on buyers um, when they first were introduced on uh, 
the American American Racing Times when they first put it out on their PPs and newspaper kind of deal. And then um, I started to notice probably in about 2004, 2005 that the buyers probably weren't the best to use because they didn't have any any sort of give. So if a horse at, no offense to at like Michigan, ran a nine to five, 95 buyer and shipped down to Kentucky, that 95 buyer probably isn't going to compete with the Kentucky horses. And so that was a big discrepancy that I had a problem with. Whereas Thoroughgraph is pretty much, it doesn't matter where they run at. They get, they pretty much get the same number if they're a legit horse. Yeah, I would agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen it for years as at Canterbury is the Canterbury buyer numbers. When the horses leave, they, they don't run as good as the Tampa horses. That come. Let's take both horses run a 60 buyer, a Canterbury horse and a Tampa horse. It, it seems like nine times out of 10, the Tampa horse is going to beat the Canterbury horse. Yeah. We've seen it for years in Minnesota when the shippers come up from Tampa and they show the low buyer figures and you have a horse that already has a start at Canterbury and has, has an out and you'll see the Tampa horses run real well. The Oakland horses, horses like that. So yeah, we've seen the discrepancies as well. How do you guys go about picking up picking up your tra- picking out your trainers? I noticed I, I remember you guys having a horse with Jeffy Jeffrey Metz a long time ago. I've known him for thirty plus years, but um, how do you guys go about picking them? Um, well, b- believe it or not, it's been me. Just uh, I watch them for a while, especially young trainers, and if I see that their horses are get they're getting run out of horses. Um, that's why I found Kevin Attard run year five. I called a guy named Malcolm Pierce, and I said, well, who do you recommend, Malcolm? And he said, well, how old are you? And I, at the time, I was 40 years old. He goes, well, I have, a, I have a, a young 40-year-old trainer up here that's doing well but needs better horses. I said, who is it? And he said, Kevin Attard, and he gave me his phone number. And honestly, that's how I found Kevin. Um, years ago, we found the Shearer family. I don't know if you're familiar with, like, Meryl Shearer, Richie Shearer, Gary Shearer, any of those any of the Shear family? They are they are they are racing royalty in Louisiana for sure, and in yeah. and in Minnesota and Indiana. Yeah, so we got in with Merrill and Gary and Richie seven sixteen years ago, I think, and we've been with them guys since day one. Uh, we've had horses with Brad Cox. Um, we probably still will have horses back with Brad when we can get some better Oakland horses. And I don't know; it's just kind of. You just I pick up the phone and I call them and I talk to them and see if we'll be a good fit. Is it is it a good fit as far as just um, them being able to talk to you, or is it a good fit as far as like making sure that you know they they run a good stable and know their stock, or how does it work? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's all of that. I think communication with any business is key, and when you have as many horses as we do, it is somewhat of a business. Um, it, so I think communication is key. So if I'm not, if I'm not like warm and comfortable with talking to them, um, it's probably not a good fit. And we've had a few, few of those. One thing we've learned, uh, is let the trainer pick the races, pick the spots. If you trust your trainer, they will find you the right spots to be in. So I think that's, that's important. Uh, Brad Cox taught me best. He said, just let me drive the bus. And I don't think that in our early years, you know, we're like any other owner. We want to run in the Kentucky Derby or the big races, and the horses weren't fast enough to run in the big races. 
So we, we mismanaged a lot of horses. So then we learned to have trust in the trainers to kind of explain to us where they are. I mean, we still look at the condition book and we still, you know, help and communicate. But for the most part, we let our trainers handle every spot, every race. Do you guys allow them to pick the riders as well? Or do you guys have any input on that? Yeah. So we do. We, we, it's, it's their business. They're there every morning. They see who's riding well. They see who's in a good mood. They see, you know, they see who's getting hot. They see who's getting run out of horses. So just like in our private business, we're, we're in the crane service business. You know, people won't say to us how to pick our cranes or pick the employees to run the cranes. We, we kind of transfer that over to the horses and just let the trainers do everything. But that being said, we do wager on the horses. Remember that. So if we see a jockey that's not not trying or giving 100%, we know we're going to get beat. We know we're going to lose 85% of the time at a minimum. But if we see a jockey who's not you know, giving a lot of effort, and that's all we're looking for is effort, then we, uh, we'll just make a, a small comment. And by that time, the trainer's already made the change in. Now, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys predominantly um, have battled for the ownership title over at Canterbury. Am I correct in that? Yep. Yeah, we've won it a couple times. Um, it's it's been fun. We used to we used to I want to say we, we used to emphasize it more, but now we've uh, switched gears to Toronto and our new goal is to, you know, battle up there for for leading owners. Um, we just fell in love with the place. It's we like the tapita, we like the grass, we like the people. So, we're going to be we're, we're putting more resources into Toronto than anything right now in in the goal of getting faster horses and kind of moving up the ladder. Same thing we did at Canterbury. That's per that's actually I, I love um I love Woodbine. Woodbine's one of my favorite racetracks. Um my sister rode there for quite a long time and um actually I think I think she won a stakes race for Citatard. Um a long time ago in 2000 so it's it's pretty impressive uh, it's great racetrack it's fun um i don't like I, it's kind of out in the out of the way of toronto but still it's a great place to go yeah i think so especially with uh the hotel that's i think it's back under construction i think through the pandemic it was halted but now uh with that that's going to be a game changer because like you said it's a little bit out so now you can stay at the track if you want, maybe Uber into the city. That's generally what we we do anyways. So we're excited for the hotel up there. So a uh, couple more questions before I let you go here. Yeah. Um, one, you were mentioning about rehoming horses, and I know you guys are really big on that. And you had mentioned that it's kind of hard to do it right now. Um, is that just in, in your neck of the woods or um, – in Toronto, what what's the situation where you guys are having a hard time rehoming? Well, I think I think the main thing with us is we would never want one of our horses to, you know, go to a kill pen or go, get into bad hands. So we generally, you know, have trust in the trainers to, you know, bring the people to the barn, look at the horse, and then we kind of head them out a little bit. And I think there's less and less of those people. Uh, I don't know if it's due to feed costs. I don't know. I have no idea if it's the pandemic. I've just noticed the last year, it's harder to get our you know thoroughbreds rehomed 
it's just there's not enough people that are willing to take them and i should say qualified people yeah they take care of them i mean they're a big commitment they they really are i mean i wish i i wish i was closer to you guys i probably my i'd probably get in trouble for taking them all um (laughs) um because I, i get my horse fixed every time i do tours at old friends so um I wanted to ask you how hard now I know with three chimneys when they started with the gunrunner when they gunrunner's first year they were really really picky about who they were going to breed to him um yeah. and it was to a point to where I was like man they're going to get the top notch mares for this colt and he's just going to be a star and it's obviously worked how excited are you about that gunrunner Ultra excited. Um, we're at, we're going to go back to him this year with the same mare. She's the one, the grade three winner, and his babies. We've tried buying his babies at the sales, and even the mid, let's call it the middle to the road babies. You know, stretched our budget where we we couldn't even get one bot, and it's not from lack of trying. I bet I thinking we we vetted maybe twenty gun runners, and just they just went out of out of our reach so we're really really excited about him and we also like matoli our matoli babies look uh look extra fast too yeah i i haven't i I remember talking to i remember talking to three chimneys about the gun runner and they gave me the list of stuff that they were doing with him and i was like man they're gonna just everything that he's gonna drop is gonna be just unreal and i was like you know he was great on the racetrack um, I, I, I remember pro- right after the Breeders' Cup dirt mile, I think he finished second in that race. I was, I happened to be next to Bruno DiGiulio and I told Bruno, I'm like, Hey, you know, this horse is never going to lose another race. He, he'll end up winning every race he runs in. And he was supposed to go to the Pegasus World Cup against Arrogate and the herpes outbreak happened in Louisiana. And so he couldn't go, and then he goes out to Dubai and gets a close favoring track where he almost beats Arrogate anyway. Um, I think you guys are going to have a superstar in that horse. I hope I don't jinx it um, <laughs> by yeah. that. But, I mean, I just think that everything he's dropping is just unreal. And they're all cor- they're 99% correct, which is crazy. And it's- if they have, they have his temperament, that's even going to be better. It, it's I, I haven't seen a stallion stamp him like he has color wise correctness in you know I, maybe like obviously into mischief but I mean even with into mischief you can you can get some that are, come out we've had a couple that uh weren't very correct I, I don't know he just has this aura about him and his babies have this aura about him confidence classy just nice horses yeah um have you seen? Have you gone to see him at all? Yeah, we went there. I believe it was two years ago. My wife, my daughter, and everybody went and seen him. So he's how he's got the greatest personality, doesn't he? He's just like yeah. so chill and like yeah. He's he's a he's a great horse. We we like him a lot, and hopefully uh, can support him a little more now that he gets on with his age and people like the flavor of the week. And we'll stick with uh, Gunrunner any day. Yeah. Uh, He's a lot. He's a lot better behaved than Palace Malice for sure. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. It, yes, 
You're correct. Uh, one, one, la- one last question, and then I'll get to what Caitlin likes to do here. But um, what are the goals for 2021, 2022 for you guys? Obviously, uh, the plate is one, but do you guys do you guys ever look ahead, or are you guys just like in the moment? No, it goes back to, you know, trusting the trainers. So we have a game plan for uh, our three-year-olds moving into staying in the program up up there in Toronto. We, we generally stay right there. We It's so much easier if we don't have to ship out of there, especially with the border being closed. So I would say our goal, and we do have a game plan for every horse at all times. We have the current race, and we generally have one or two spots after that already picked out, generally. Um in Maryview's instance, we would love to come down for the Beverly D. We'll see how we run uh, Saturday uh, up there in the grade two. And, you know, Arlington Park was, when we got into horse racing, we wanted to win at Arlington so bad. It was it was so prestigious at a time. The money was good. And then, uh, I don't know, they, they went a little bit backwards there. So I, I think we really have a, a fondness there and want to win a big race there before they shut down. So that's about it for her. So let's. Uh, so Caitlin plays this game every time we have a new guest on, um, and she likes to do it because you get a feel for for uh, bigger, uh, not bigger goals. It's just fun. It's probably the hardest part for the people that we have on. But if you could, if you could have any jockey, living, dead, anything in a big race, who would it be? Oh, boy, that is a tough one. See? If I could have any, any jockey, I would have to go with Eddie Martin Jr. I really would. He's just, you win the Louisiana Derby million dollar race. He's, I think Eddie Martin Jr. would be my guy. Do you feel that he's probably one of the most underrated riders? Yeah, his hands. If you talk to most trainers on the backstretch that have been around Eddie, um, his hands are good. He, he's he's a good jock. I you know I even like some young ones coming up. I think I, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but Adam Baskitza, I think on the turf he, he's aggressive. He rides, gets a lot of run on him. Um, Mitchell Merle. I mean, look at Florent. There's there, there's good jocks right now. I love I love. Uh, I got a friend of mine that that always says, "Bet Mitch, get rich." Uh, for Mitch Merle, because that's all he does is bet Mitch, and he gets rich. So <laughs> I'm on that bandwagon with Mitchell. And he's a great person, so I think that was probably I probably spread that a little bit as well. I bet Mitch to get rich. I'm I'm uh I'm a little uh a bias because I'm friends with him, but I think Jermaine Bridgeman is also really good on the back of yes. the horse. He's really and his hands are so chill and quiet. But the best part about it is he's old school. He'll go back to the barn area after a race or before a race or during the week just to be around the horses, just to get to know them and get in their minds. And I think that's so important with jockeys sometimes. What? Yeah, I think so. Yep. What place, what place would you like to win a race at? Oh, Saratoga. Sir, we've ran a couple horses there. We've come close. I think we got a second one time. I think Saratoga, I think, is Saratoga or Del Mar. I mean, I think that's what everybody's going to say, but 
Saratoga would be my pick. Uh, everybody has either said Saratoga, Ascot, or Dubai. Um, so yeah. you're in, you're in good company. Yeah, so, yeah. I think it's. I just like going there. I like the atmosphere. I like the people. I like the track. I like the history behind it. I love Saratoga. And the final question: uh, Throughout the years that you have followed racing, give me a couple of the horses that that you have like been thankful to have seen or heard about or have watched run. Yeah, he's seen a lot of big ones. Um, one horse that that I, I don't think it gets much attention anymore. There was a horse called Misremembered that Bob Baffert trained. Oh yeah. And, I seen him in Oakland and we were in the race and we were in the paddock and I looked at my father and my friends. I said, we have no chance of beating that horse. And he won that day. I, I think it was, I don't remember what race it was, but uh, he was just, he was pretty awesome to look at. I mean, he was just all racy, knew his job, seemed to enjoy his job. So misremembered would be uh, at the top, one of the top of my list. We had a horse called Stashies. We, we totally mismanaged him and, Picked out the wrong races and thought we had, you know, a really, really nice horse, which we probably, he was a nice horse, but we mismanaged him. But he was fun to watch because, as you know, like Pumpkin Rumble, those type, they try every race. And I think that's what, that those are the horses that we tend to remember, the ones that just lay it down every race, all out, and try their best. Sometimes they're not good enough, but they try hard. Yeah, they, um, <clears throat> I remember uh, anytime anybody brings up uh, misremembered. I just go back to um, watching him in the mornings. He just—you could always tell where he was at. You could always—you—you you could point him out so easily because he was just—he was just that type of horse. Him and uh, I think Point Given is probably the one that anytime anybody talks about him, uh, it's the same thing. You know, everybody knew who he was. He was just like this big monster horse, and he. Of all the horses that that should have won a triple crown, that's the horse that should have won a triple crown for sure. Oh, I agree. I remember his races like they were yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, good horse. Well, thank you for uh, taking the time out of your busy uh, cabin day. <laughs> I think that's where you're at. Um, yeah. Nice yep. and relaxing. Uh, but really appreciate it. And what do you what do? You, Got going on at the cabin? Anything fun? Fishing, maybe? No, we we're not much fishers, fisher people. We do more of the boating. Uh, we have a winery that's close by, so when people come, it's about a mile from here. We take them to the winery. Um, we get guests up here. My father lives on the other side of the lake, and he always has guests there. So a lot of socializing, a lot of a lot of adult beverages, just a lot of fun. <laughs> well, have have a great time and. Hopefully one time when you guys are at Oakland, I can just drive up and meet up with you guys and say hi and, you know, bet together. Absolutely. We plan on having horses there next year, so we'll do it next year for sure. All righty. Thanks a lot, Al. I really yeah, appreciate your time. Have a good thanks. one.